Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. When we die, do we really pass through a tunnel of light to meet our loved ones? Does the same thing happen for everyone, even if they've done great evil in their lives? Do we really die at all? Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And this is our 220th broadcast. Wow. Oh, yeah. So, I'm Ben, and our opening questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Before we welcome our guest this evening, let's tackle our weekly paranormal contest. Oh, so much fun. Okay, so uh, Diane Russo of Manchester, New Hampshire, got the answer to last week's question. Where does the lake monster known as Messy live? Not Nessie. This is Messy we are talking about. So... Messy, right. Uh, yes. Uh, Messy uh, supposedly lives in Lake Murray, South Carolina. All right, so this week's question is, what hotel in Alberta is considered one of Canada's most beautiful hotels, but also one of its most haunted? So if you can deal with that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If you don't get the answer before the end of the show, you can drop a line to me at bennettbehindtheparanormal.com. And the winner gets a copy of Best Selling Evidence of the Afterlife, co-authored by tonight's guest. Jody Long is involved in consciousness studies with the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, which she and her husband, Dr. Jeffrey Long, founded in 1988. She's also a lawyer and an assistant district attorney for the state of New Mexico. Could have used Jody last week and we got stopped by a cop on the way to the show two weeks ago, actually. She was a collaborator with her husband and Paul Perry on the book Evidence of the Afterlife, tonight's prize, which was released last year and quickly hit the New York Times bestseller list. Her own book is From Soul to Soulmate, Bridges from the Near-Death Experience Wisdom, released last July. The reach of Jody's work is international, and she has been involved in paranormal research for several decades, and she has experienced several paranormal events for herself. She considers the global message of peace, love, tolerance, and brotherhood to be the cornerstone of the message of the NDE, near-death experience. Her primary website, www.nderf.org. If you'd like to talk with Jody or us tonight, it's 401-766-1240 locally or 800-449-1240 nationally. Email is eno at onworldwide.com. Oh, Jody Long, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, hi. It's good to be back. How are you? Yeah, oh, you know, it's been almost wonderful. two years. That's hard to believe. I know. <laughs> Time flies and you're having fun. So Ben's going to take uh, take us away tonight. Okay, so um, the, for those who might not be familiar with the subject, what are near-death experiences or NDEs, whatever floats your boat? Well, near-death experiences are a type of experience that happens when people experience um, imminent life-threatening event. And um, they may come close to death or they may actually die. And what happens is they leave their body and uh, at a time when they have zero consciousness in the brain and no heart, uh, lung activity, these people are having a viable experience outside of their body. And then they are resuscitated, they come back, and then they tell us about it. Hmm. Okay, so um, you said that there has been some new research and some new findings about NDEs. Uh, what are they? <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I'm not so sure that they're, quote, new findings as much as they are uh, a validation of what's out there and put in a perspective that even lay people can understand it. And um, those things have to do with the evidence of the afterlife and that talk about things such as a lucid death. I mean, how can somebody be dead and still have an experience that is uh, probably more real than me talking to you right now? And things like why can they go outside of their body and why are they able to actually see, for instance, where people put their dentures? Well, they're in a crash cart, uh, that they have no uh, viable reason to do that. Uh, Blindsight is another big uh, reason uh, for, for evidence of the afterlife. I'm they sorry, blind, blind sight? Blind sight. Blind yeah. sight, okay. 
Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I just and, I didn't hear that. Yeah, and basically what blindsight is, is somebody who is blind from birth will actually have a visual experience. Or you'll have somebody who wears glasses that's almost blind and they have perfect vision. Dur- during or, an NDE? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And so, and, and then there's, uh, things such as, um, you know, like the life reviews. Why are they perfect playback? You know, uh, there, there's a lot of things that we cannot explain. And why are NDEs the same, described, uh, pretty much the same for children as adults? What so, about, I'm sorry, have you? Go ahead. Okay. What about people who have terrible experiences with NDEs? Because they're, I, I, I have some experience with this myself, uh, although many years ago when I was a seminarian and a graduate student working in uh, psychiatric hospitals, which at the time had a number of patients who were uh, suffering from other medical conditions as well. I mean, what, what about people who have terrible experiences? We had one man who had to horrify, he didn't, he didn't want to go to sleep after that. Uh, and, and we considered it a near-death experience. Uh, what about? I know that those are much rarer than positive experiences. But what say you? Well, I think that the first thing you have to do when people talk about a less than positive experience is you've got to take a look at several different factors. For instance, there's a book by Barbara Romer. She's a doctor, and she wrote about uh, blessings in disguise. There are basically four different categories of these experiences, and one of them can be a void, one of them can be uh, the deep, hellish experience, and then there's a couple other ones I don't recall. But I can tell you that things that may frighten some people will not frighten others. For instance, when some people are in a void, what happens is some people are quite happy to be in a void. Other people are scared to death because they feel all alone. So it, a lot of it comes down to personal interpretation. We had one fellow who was in an ambulance, and he saw angels. Most people are pretty excited to see angels because they know they're not going uh, to help. And so they get very excited, and they, they're comforted by the sight of angels. But this fellow, he was terrified. He did not want to leave Earth, and he didn't want to leave his family. And so, therefore, this was a very terrifying experience to him. Well, um, well, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, was, was that, is there more? Because I, I was uh, oh, kind of anxious absolutely. to share something that happened to me. Oh, okay. Well, I, before I do, because um, I think what it, it may actually be quite useful to you is the fact that there is a very small percentage of very hellish experiences. And yes. we really don't know why they happen, but my personal feelings on it is that these happen for a reason, and most of the time these are things that make people go, gee, I need to reevaluate, reevaluate my life. I need to figure out where I'm going and how I can uh, be a better person. And I, I think that uh, they are definitely a mechanism of positive spiritual growth. All right. Well, let me tell you something that is, I suppose, rather parallel to that because it, it happened to me. And um, it, it was a number of years ago. I was only in my 40s, and I was, um, unbeknownst to myself, uh, Ben was of course, very, very, very small. You were just uh, maybe one or two years old. And I had pneumonia. And he eventually caught it, unfortunately. And I, I was also in, in the middle of a, an incident of atrial fibrillation. So I was in bad shape. And I was around the house, and my wife was going to work, and, and she said, maybe you should, like, see about this, whatever it is. And after she left, and Ben was kind of uh, playing in, in my office um, uh, on the other side of the room, and I ha- began to see colors I had never imagined before. And I saw... A, a cave which was made apparently, you know, made by human hands. It was there were cut stones and with a thing, and, and there was a lizard 
coming out of this cave. Now, now Ben will, will testify. I am not particularly fond of reptiles. No, right? no, I hate snakes. No, well, this wasn't a snake. Oh, I know. But, but th- this was the most positive experience, um, uh, not that I've ever had, but, but one that was very, very positive. And I considered it kind of a near-death experience. The colors were very vivid. The, the scene was very benign. And it's just something that I ordinarily would have been horrified of. But yet, but yet, in this context, it was quite positive, and I don't understand that. I mean, what, what do you think? Well, it, there could be many different uh, explanations for it. I, I, mean, I was I in the really I was in the hospital about an hour later, but uh huh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. There's there's just a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, for instance, like parallel universes. There's, Tell us about uh, it. Different dimensions. There's mm-hmm. different uh, uh, different. A lot of it may have something to do with a, a prior lifetime or a lifetime somewhere else. Our, our spirit is basically, uh, I would call it uh, multidimensional, and it can be in many different places at once mm-hmm. just because it is, you know, a fourth or actually it's probably a fifth dimensional or greater and uh, it, it's not confounded by time or anything. So basically, your your soul can be many different, uh, you know, three-dimensional places at once. Okay, well, I, we'll get back to that because I have, uh, <laughs> I have an issue with the whole person not doing things, just part of a person doing things. But I know I want to give Ben a chance to ask some questions here. But just before I do, we uh, had uh, Dr. Michael Persinger on the show uh, not long after you were on last time. And we were prepared to argue with him, but he uh, actually turned out to be rather a, an agreeable fellow. Uh, and for those who do not know who Dr. Michael Persinger is, he is at the University of Sudbury in Ontario. And he has done lots of research on the nature of temporal lobe experiences, uh, apparitional experiences, NDEs, such as we're talking about this evening, things of that kind out-of-the-body experiences, etc., and he has invented what uh, we, we both enjoy hearing about, the God Helmet. And this is something that someone can put on, and they have very positive experiences by, of this kind by having electrodes stimulate various parts of their brains. And as a matter of fact, he uh, jocularly told us that a lot of people want to come back and they want to do it again and again because it's such a pleasant experience. What's your take on artificial stimulation of these experiences such as NDEs? Uh, just before you answer that, our point to him was that this does not necessarily mean that they are not legitimate just because they can be artificially stimulated. But And he tended to agree with us. So what's what's your take on artificial stimulation of what we're talking about? Um, I think it's baloney. Really? And I can okay. tell you, oh, absolutely. All right. Well, tell us what you really think. <laughs> Well, if you look at it, for instance, we had gotten um, Dr. Persinger in contact with a Canadian NDEer, and we asked him after we saw the show, I think it was on the Learning Channel, and we asked him specifically, we said, okay, now can you tell us, this is, this is what the show said, can you tell us if it was real, if, if, that's, if, if you could tell the difference between being artificially stimulated and the difference between your NDE and he says oh absolutely he says there was no there was no diff- uh, he, he said there was no uh, way you could make that the same experience he said the NDE was something totally different hmm well you know he sort of said the same thing on our show more or less depending on how you interpreted it but he was far I mean, we were prepared to blow him out of the water but he was far more uh, reasonable I think in, in his in his point of view than we had expected um, so, but you don't think. So, are you suggesting that he's really not simulating these things, or, or he's misinterpreting his 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 uh, results, or what? Well, I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, uh, I think it was Dr. Penfield. I think that was his name. Um, he started in the very beginning. I think like in the fifties. And one of the things that he did was he was actually working on the epileptic. Uh, seizures, and they go in and then they start uh, with electrical stimulation. And back then, uh, one of the more famous cases, they say, oh, well, of course, that, that's an OBE. But what's really interesting is he could take and he could actually stimulate false memories, not just regular memories, but false memories. 
And at that point, you have to sit there and go, so it's just interesting the way that consciousness is, the way that memory works, and the way that people recall things. Uh, Many times people will recall, uh, for instance, dreams, and they seem just as real as here on Earth. Um, It's just a different way of uh, looking at things. So I'm not really convinced that just because you stick a needle in somebody's brain and you are able to get them to say something or to think they see something, uh, that that's actually happening. But since the near-death experience is such a... uh, It's like the gold standard for the paranormal. And when doctors are so ready to disprove it that many times they take a small little finding that is supposed to be confined to a very small area and they will include it in NDE research or paranormal research just because they're trying to to get the golden brass ring. Yeah, well, that's it. Now, we, and I really, this really came home vividly to me last night after our CBS show when we were were dealing with a skeptic, a person who had been a paranormal investigator and become a skeptic, which we respect that. But I think that in order to become a skeptic, and you go from what might be called baloney kinds of paranormal research to baloney science. I don't think that proves anything. And my point here is that when you're talking about false memories and things of this kind, from our particular perspective here in our work in the paranormal, there are no false memories because somewhere and somewhere in the multiverse, which we always talk about, those things are actually happening. And the trick is to keep your feet on the ground, not to get locked up for it, and to and to use it in in a positive manner. So, uh, is it possible that uh, what's being stimulated are not illusions and false memories, but actual vi- vision into parallel lives that are actually going on? I would really doubt it, and the reason that I say that is because there's a definite difference between what happens in the brain and what happens outside of the body. And if you notice, you'll see a lot of those hellish experiences that you were talking about. They are actually chemical experiences due to ICU psychosis or some type of like other kind of psychosis that may not be drug-induced. But the bottom line is those things are from the brain. But when people have these experiences, they're talking about something outside of their body. And so you can stimulate the brain all you want. But the only thing uh, you're going to accomplish is, is, you know, you're going to stimulate the brain. Well, this is uh, what we brought up with him, that the uh, the dubious notion that memory, imagination, whatever you want to call these experiences, are in the brain is very difficult to defend these days. The non-locality issue is, I think, very significant. And the idea that, that these things are occurring outside, Mem- our memories are shared, our imagination is shared, our experiences, our lives are shared. That notion is, is becoming quite prominent in transpersonal psychology and in quantum mechanics, certainly, and I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, so th- that's one thing we brought up with Dr. Persinger about you know, the validity of his, of his work, you know, you know, that, that it didn't, it, it, it's not enough, it's not good enough, that sort of thing. I mean, what's your thought on that? Well... I think that doctors have a tendency to, uh, I, I really don't know that much about Persinger's work. I just remember watching it on the, the Learning Channel. I've run into other uh, scientists who have, for instance, like Olaf Blanc, and he proposed that because he was sticking needles in the, um, I think it was the, the ang- angular gyros or something, because he was sticking a, a, a probe there and because somebody thought they saw their um, arm move, that they were actually duplicating some kind of a out-of-body experience. And, you know, the, my thing is, if he was really that involved with that many people and could do that, why hasn't he been able to repeat it? His research only had to do with one person. It didn't have to do with a control sample. So for him to make all these big, uh, uh, these big statements, these grandiose statements, uh, it wasn't warranted with his research. 
I say. Okay, well, we're going to take a commercial break now. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. Stay with us. Freemasonry helps make good men better by giving them the opportunity to develop their characters and strengthen their communities through participation in the world's oldest and most philanthropic fraternal organization, the Masons. Visit www.rimasons.org on the Internet and learn how you can become a part of the good works of Freemasonry. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Hi, I'm Greg Bell, the host of When Radio Was. I'm Mortimer. Bill. Is that you under that blindfold? Bill. With this thing on, I can't see who I am. No, I imagine not. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? On a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. When Radio Was, shows from the past for today's imaginations. When Radio Was airs Monday through Friday right here on ON 1240 Radio at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. And we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our guest Jody Long. We're talking about near-death experiences this evening, and Ben's going to ask the next question. Okay, so what's the Osriel endeavor? Well, it's something that I had started a while ago, and one of the things that is starting to take root is the idea of how to, you know, instead of being a midwife, uh, there are people who are like coaches and help people with their transition to the other side uh, when they die. And so the Azrael project started off uh, to be able to help people so that, for instance, if they were dying of cancer, to help them not be afraid and to help them to maximize their energy so they could uh, make a successful transition without any problems. All right. This whole notion of the afterlife. Well, you're familiar with our work, Jody. You know, I mean. And, oh yeah. <laughs> and and, and we, we love you. You know that. All right. Oh, thank you. But this this whole business of the the maybe it's the terminology. You know, the afterlife, passing over, crossing over to the other side. I mean, the other side of what? I mean, it just it, it the spiritualist terminology just bothers me. And it's not you. It's everybody. <laughs> everybody uses that terminology seemingly, and it just it. To us, it's it's way gone. It, it's inadequate. It doesn't really work anymore. We're 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 talking about a whole cosmic journey here into into a whole new perception, which is really an old perception that I think that the old shamans had and our remote ancestors had. What what do you mean by an afterlife? Our idea of an afterlife is simply somewhere you already are living a life, body and soul. The whole the whole idea of the soul having being able to contain all memories, imagination, energy, knowledge, that, that bothers me. It's, it's so Western and so dualistic uh, from a philosophical point of view. I, just, I don't believe it. Ben doesn't believe it because that's not what we've seen. Not to mention incredibly selfish. Yeah, well, I, I, in 41 years of paranormal research, I've never seen it. Uh, I think if you look beyond it, the whole world opens up. I mean, I, and... I, I, with all due respect to your work and, and the fine books you've written and everything else, I mean, what's your response to that? I mean, wh- why is spiritualism good enough? Well, I think that one of the things that we've been doing over the past uh, 12 years is we run into a lot of people from all over the world. And one of the things that you quickly learn is that you can't take somebody from an atheist viewpoint all the way up to where you're at. They, they, can't, uh, they can't understand it. They can't relate to it. They can't, uh, they, they don't, uh, it, it doesn't click with them. So you have to take baby steps. And so if I'm using words that are somewhat, uh, you know, accepted in, in society, even though you don't accept them, uh, a lot of that is just from... Uh, the work that that we do answering hundreds of emails. (laughs) I mean, after a while, you learn that there are certain things that make people feel better about certain concepts. And death in our world is a very negative concept. Now, if you go over to the eastern side, uh, you know, Tibet, uh, the... 
Tibetan Book of the Dead. I mean, it's very well accepted over there, and you don't have to talk in those types of uh, terms. But here in the United States, you have probably about 75% of the people are fundamentalists. And 75%? So you, 75, yeah, especially with all this um, uh, world stuff that's going on. Well, maybe it's time we all learn a new vocabulary. It may be a well, new paradigm. And, and that's exactly it. Yeah, I know. Uh, and but you know, for right now, this is kind of what we need to do because that's um, uh, you know you're you're trying to teach people. You're not trying to. Uh, you can't just go out and say, "Hey, you're going to be a fourth level spiritual type person." You you got to teach them at a level they can accept it. Well, I don't know when we talk about what we talk about the way we talk about it, the multiverse people. I don't know. At least unless they're trying to be extremely nice to us. There, the light bulb goes on. They say, you know, that explains it. You know, these things have been happening all my life, and I never understood it until I heard it put in that way. And it's no credit to us. It's just we're just trying to clarify what our ancient forebears, I believe, were saying. <clears throat> Let's give you an example of what we think death is all about, because this actually happened to Ben over the weekend. And, and, and as you know, we we work in the multiverse. We're working increasingly, literally, with, with other species who live in other parallel worlds. Crazy as it sounds, this is as real as it gets. This is what it's all about. This is how we research and work with the paranormal, and that's why we don't call ourselves ghost hunters. We call ourselves cosmic sojourners, because that's what we do. And it's um, expanding, and uh, we're learning a lot. Ben, why don't you tell us how you died this weekend? Well... Now, to give a little background on this, everybody dies everywhere, everywhere, all the time, whenever, whatever. Basic so. experience of human existence to us. Yes. So we all have probably died a couple infinite amount of times, but nobody ever actually sees it, or if they do, they are either incredibly lucky or they just haven't been in the right place at the right time. Well, I happen to be at the right place at the right time. So there was a really bad rainstorm on... Friday, February 25th, about 9.32 p.m., I was driving to... No, not not p.m., a.m. On East East Coast time, I was driving up to Worcester to go see my girlfriend at college. See, the night before, she was incredibly nervous about me going up, going up to visit her because she was very upset about the weather and thought something very bad was going to happen to me. I was just like, oh, whatever, I've, I've been fine before. I don't really... It's no big deal to me. And then my dad was also very worried about my drive up. Again, I didn't really care. So I was driving up, and ironically, I was listening to Great Gig in the Sky by Pink Floyd. And I hydroplaned on the highway in my 1991 Yellow Geo Metro. It is a, a, basically a flying... Uh, Roller skate? No, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's a screaming metal death trap. So... I proceeded to hydroplane off the highway. Next thing I know, I somehow gathered, I somehow got control of my car. Then I keep getting pictures in my mind of me flipping over, like, flipping over on the highway and going into the middle of it. And I kept thinking to myself, well, at least I told everybody I love them. So after that, everything just felt weird. Everything was really weird. So I got my girlfriend. We were driving back really slow because I didn't want to hydroplane again. So I got home, and I noticed a few things were really off. My girlfriend, who was with me when I bought a pair of jeans, forgot that she bought the pair of jeans. My dad found his shoe that he hasn't found in three years. Was it three years? Uh, it, almost, but it's it, on and on and on. Things were different. People we knew who were sensitive reported that at the time this happened to Ben, they felt something change. Uh, it's like Ben... Thank God, took us into the parallel life with him where he didn't die. So, what I'm basically getting at is, I died, and look, look where I am. I'm back here. And we're just saying that, that there's a lot more to this than the standard thinking would have us believe. Instead of going into some fluffy place where you hang out with all yeah. your relatives, and again, and you know, with the greatest respect, you know, as I say, we love you. It's just that, that I think. That, we're just nobody we just keep gets it. Barking up the wrong. Yeah, I don't think anybody no one, gets it. No one gets it. It's much larger than just dying and going somewhere else. You have to stop 
thinking in this little box and think in circles. Think in pools of water. Think in all these different ways and get out of the shell of... Okay, well, th- th- don't... I, I always uh, used to preach to the guests. I Ben's passion uh, is is passionate. So <laughs> I also drank um, a lot of caffeine. Yeah, all right. So just but the, the, our point, Jody, is is that we think there's more to this, and but, but you're in there working with it every day, you know. So we we certainly respect that. But what is your reaction to these, uh, if you want to say, a, a different species of NDE or this kind of approach to death or, or or what? I mean, does it ring a bell with anyone you've worked with before or or what? Well, I actually, I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I see that all the time. I wrote about it in, um, I have an article there on the fourth dimension um, because we see the ways that these experiences happen in a different dimension. And I have absolutely no doubt. As a, as a matter of fact, if you, if you wanted to take the idea of the uh, soul and it's a multidimensional uh, unit, it basically, you can think about it where it can project itself into any third-dimensional reality. And obviously, if you can do that, you can exist at the same time, on the same timeline even. You can exist in the past and, the, and in the future. What about the body? So, I mean, to you, us, it's, the person is a oneness, a wholeness. And, well, that's what your soul is. And, and each... You know, you think of it kind of like an octopus. You know, it throws out a line, and uh, there's a, a person at the end of it. And all these experiences that are coming back to the soul, it's kind of like an oversoul. And I think the way that we look at our, the way we live, the way we die, is is very um, limited. But a lot of times, when I'm talking on a radio station or whatever, I try not to go there because there's not a lot of people that are interested in it and and they want to hear more things pretty strictly with the NDE but I agree with you guys yeah well we we find that you know people are ready to open their minds at least at least the people we talk to but again I mean the whole notion of, of the so are you suggesting that, that the body is part of the soul or is just irrelevant or what because we're very big on the physicality of all this I don't think that the body is what you think it is. I, I think the body is just a way to experience these different situations uh, that the soul wants to experience. And um, so if it wants to take the same body or take the same memories and put it into another dimension, uh, it can. it's ex- extremely free to do that because we're talking about three dimensions. It's just like if you have a, um, you know, like a, a line and, and you're a plane, uh, you know, like a piece of paper, and you want to enter, put that paper anywhere on that line, you can do that. And uh, it, that's the type of thinking that we're looking at, but it, it's very abstract. Well, again, I, I don't know if, you're, if, if we're thinking big enough here. Uh, so what we're saying is, and, my, and our experience in the paranormal, especially mine, uh, which is uh, much longer than Ben's, is physical encounters with beings people thought were ghosts. You know, they they had bodies, bone structure at times, and I, I keep going back to uh, one of several experiences I've had with this, and it just really got me wondering if this, if the the, the uh, if the nature of these phenomena is as spiritual as people think they are. I think. We, we in the West are brought up, whether it be under Aristotle and Plato or, or under St. Augustine and, and the, the Christian ideas, that, that matter is bad, spirit is good. And that is the biggest mistake philosophically in the history of human thinking. Because if you look at other points of view, from as you, as you mentioned before, the, the Tibetans and Eastern point of view, all of it is good. And the question I and, and I, I had a lecture one time, and there was a, a medium in the audience who got really upset with me because I was saying this stuff. And I said to her, "Without your body, are you still you?" And she really said, "Well, I have to think about that." And, you know, and, and we're just so used to thinking of the body as something to be overcome, which of course translate to our, translates to our treatment of the, of the planet as nature, as physical nature, or something to be overcome rather than lived in and worked with and rejoiced in. 
this is this is my philosophical problem with, with this whole approach. And naturally, you're doing legitimate work, but you're going to interpret it in your way, and we do, we're doing work, and we're interpreting it in our way. So maybe the best way is to discuss as we're doing. Well, I, I, I still don't see that we're um, at odds. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here. I agree with you. But so many of our guests say that, and maybe it's because they're speaking out of their framework. We're hearing out of our framework, and, and we see tremendous gaps very often, maybe less with you than with many. But... Um, and I, I still think that it's very uh, that if somebody wants to transition to uh, a different dimension, it's actually fairly easy to do. Many people well, have we done know it. That, yeah. Well, okay. we have we have another website, and it's called the Out of Body Experience Research Foundation, and we get some of the darndest experiences there. There's yeah. no way you can explain it, and well, a lot of them are what you're talking about. Okay. Well, what's the website? The OBERF dot org. Okay, O-B-E-R-F uh-huh. dot org. Okay, just so people will, will know that. But, uh, yeah, I don't mean, people's experiences really are amazing. There are some that they hesitate to talk about, as you know, because they think uh, you're going to think they're crazy. But Ben is going to ask a, another question here. So with all this being said, do we live forever? I believe so. All right. Those, are those terms adequate to describe it we believe that well you know we i'm sure you're familiar with the work of sir fred hoyle the great astrophysicist who has uh left us since then but he's um uh the author of many books such as the intelligent universe wonderful thinker and he believed that life in the universe is the rule rather than the exception if you go out into space and you encounter the so-called gas clouds, they're actually clouds of trillions upon trillions of microbes, things of this kind. A very new way of looking at this, and a very positive way, I always thought. Uh, <clears throat> he was an agnostic, and I often thought of writing to him when he was alive and saying that you, you strengthened my faith in God because of your agnosticism. In a funny way, I wondered how he would have responded to that. But in any case, uh, we tend to agree that life is... The rule. Everything is alive. Of course, the, the native uh, Aborigines in Australia, many of the, the the extremely ancient cultures, the Nicobar and Andaman Islanders, whose cultures go back, you know, up to a hundred thousand years, unbroken, would tell you the same thing. So, well, what I'm saying here is that <clears throat> I don't. We don't believe in death. We don't think the darn thing even exists in any way. Not even for the body. And the only evidence I've ever seen of it is, is at funerals, and even that's kind of flimsy. I mean, what say you? Well, I think that when the body goes, it goes. I mean, you and and you know that. I guess maybe we do disagree there because I look at a body in a casket, and that looks like it's dead to me. Well, yeah, it sure, but I mean, just like everything else. On yeah, Earth. I'm not saying it's not. I mean, the, the leaf falls off the tree in the fall. Uh, the plant regrows in the spring. You know, you know the whole cycle business. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and but you know, you approach. And I think of this particularly with loved ones. You approach at a wake or, or a private viewing, as they call, uh, when, when someone very close to you has, has uh, died, bodies worn out, whatever you want to call it, translated, we like to say. I think it's more accurate. And they're not there. It's not them. You know? No, it isn't. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I can see why people approach the idea of the soul as most people do. But again, when you encounter them, and I've had, I haven't had this happen to myself with loved ones. Well, well, once or twice I have. But when you encounter people who describe vividly, vivid physical experiences with re-encountering loved ones from what can only be interpreted by us anyway as parallel realities where they have not died and are perfectly physical and um, you know, hold their hands. And, uh, and I've seen this happen. Uh, particularly at Augensburg State Hospital in Upper State New York when I was a seminary student. I walked into a room, and there was a physical hand holding the hand of someone who was dying. And, I mean, there's just more to this than the soul in the old classic Western interpretation, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree with you. What's that? Oh, no, but I think, why does one have to be true and one not true? I think that's the the dichotomy of Western thinking here. And so I think that we have some... Let me give you an example, too. And people often ask about this, because I've, I've mentioned it several times on the air, and it's on our website, newenglandghosts.com. And again, it's, it happened 30 years ago. Uh, it was secondhand, thirdhand, but I was speaking in the same year, in the period of within, within a period of one year, with a Cree chief from Quebec, 
of the Cree tribe, and also an uh, Aboriginal elder from Australia. I got around that year, 1979. And we began talking about this subject, and usually shamans are very reluctant to talk to Europeans about this sort of thing, but they, they somehow clicked with me and were very interested in the theories that were only just developing at the time. And they told me about the multiverse in the sense that these men, when they had, were little, had known other shamans who had literally gone into other worlds where people had died and literally pulled them back into our world from worlds in which they had not died physically, by the arm. All right. uh, it was not a good idea. They said they only did it after being paid very, very handsomely by the families of the lost people involved. One was a child, one was a man who had a young family. And uh, the results were not good. And uh, you can imagine this man in Quebec, northern Quebec, uh, remember the Cree tribe, walking to work every day past his own grave where his body was buried. And this is the kind of thing that got me wondering if our thinking about this was good enough. And I've long since come to the conclusion that it isn't, and that we're not thinking big enough about the nature of, of, of life or death or even of the human body. So you can see where we're coming from with this. Uh, the, the incident in Australia was that of a young child who uh, interestingly came into our world, dimension, whatever you want to call it, recognized his parents but did not know several of his siblings and did not know some of his neighbors because presumably in the world he, where he never died, those neighbors didn't exist or those siblings didn't exist. I mean, And this is the stuff that starts to expand your thinking and to really get to the heart of what we are, who we are, and what our spirituality is all about and our future. So that's where we're coming from. I don't see a problem with it. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Maybe, again, you know, as we're always saying, our language is not quite up to actually talking about this stuff. So that's why we have perhaps, um, maybe sometimes we're saying the well, same let thing. Me, let, me, let me put this to you in another way. Because Please. I think that there are many different ways to express something. but there And there's many different ways to understand things. But the bottom line is, if you're going to be able to teach it, you need to talk in a language that people can understand. So you're basically talking to your target audience. But they understand this, as, as I, I cannot express enough how people, when they go, and again, it's no credit to us, but when, when I've spoken over many years, whether it be in California, in Ireland, or New England, people come up to me afterwards and they it's not everyone in the audience, but you, you, wa- you know when you're speaking to an audience, you watch their eyes, you watch their expressions on their faces, and you know when they're getting bored, and you, you know when they're not. And the people who come up and say, I never thought of it that way, you have opened the world to me. I think we need to try to speak in broader terms, in terms that are more mind-wrenching, mind-expanding, instead of the same old terms. That's my opinion, because I've seen it work, and I've seen it work all over the place with all kinds of different people. That's my experience. Maybe I'm wrong, because, you know, the first thing we say, we're always prepared to say, maybe we're wrong about this. But that's our experience. I mean, maybe we should try to expand people's thinking on these things. Well, I think it's a great idea. I, You know, I think there's many people that are doing that already. And I, I really applaud your efforts. I think it's a good thing to do. Okay, well, there we are. So, all right, well, uh, we're coming down to the end of our time here. Uh, what um, what are you working on uh, on right now? And, and certainly tell us about your books and your websites. Well, right now I just got through taking a bar exam, so I'm a little bit Oh, drained. really? Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> Ben's mom is a paralegal, so I know what the legal business, the challenges yeah, that, that, that's going to result from. Yeah, it's pretty draining. That. Well, good um, luck. Oh, my gosh. But uh, we're going to be working on bringing Ender up the NDERF, the um, Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. We're going to be working on revamping that into some of the newer uh, computer standards for the websites and all that because there's a new language that everything has to be converted to. We're in front page, so um, we've got a lot of learning to do. Okay. Then um, we, we're going to take and start bringing uh, people and, and start utilizing uh, our volunteers so that we can actually have a, a, a really cool organization. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and good luck to you on that. And tell us about uh, Evidence of the Afterlife. Evidence of the Afterlife is a great book. It's helped tremendous amounts of people. And one of the reasons being is because so many people who have had a near-death experience are pretty much told that they're crazy and by the rest of the world. But uh, in reality, when they are able to read this, it helps to validate their experience, and it actually helps a lot of other people as far as if they've had a loved one who has passed over, or you don't like that language, but a loved one who's died, um, it, it helps them to be able to cope with the grief because they know that their loved one is in a better place. And so uh, a lot of what's here, it actually helps them to understand that there is a continuity of life and it doesn't just end here. Okay. How about your book uh, from um, Soul to Soulmate? Was that oh, about? that one is a fun one. That's okay. where you actually uh, take a lot of the things that people submit to the website and it's really interesting when uh, the way that our society talks about love, we see it on TV, the way that our peers talk about love. And when you compare the love that the people talk about on the near-death experience, you see that there's a real discrepancy between the two. And so this Soul to Soulmate is a book that actually uh, talks about love, the, the true uh, love the the universal love, not the the lust that we see here on earth, and about how to find your soulmate and how to uh, and how other people found their soulmates and what that looked like and felt like. Okay, well I, we have to say that uh, when you, no matter how it works, no matter how you define it, no matter what terms you use, it does all come down to love. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, Jody, thank you very, very much. We'll talk to you again soon. And uh, we've had a great conversation, and uh, good luck in your work. Ben, well, I'm sorry, Ben, much. did you have any just any final parting mm-hmm. comments? Or? Uh, uh, have a nice evening. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Everyone back on Earth. Have a nice evening. Okay. okay. Jody thank Long, you very much. Okay, Bye-bye. very good. Bye. Jody Long, everybody. Uh, N-D-E-R-F dot O-R-G. Okay, i uh, got a few minutes here, so I wanted to... Don't do a long email. No, we're not going to do an email. We're going to do a strange encounter in Sydney, Australia Park. This is from um, certainly our our very good friend, Albert Rosales, UFOinfo.com. He's at slash humanoid, UFOinfo.com slash humanoid. Albert is a reporter uh, for our show and does uh, some very interesting work in some very unusual areas, uh, particularly when it comes to humanoids. I'll just read this uh, from Albert here. On the night of February 5th, 2010, two young men were walking along the outskirts of Parramatta Park in Sydney, Australia. It was sprinkling, like it was raining very lightly, but now it was pouring rain and storming pretty well. <clears throat> they were walking alongside a deserted creek when they started hearing noises. Some sounded like a train, although there was no train track in the area, and some sounded like children's voices, even though the men were positive they were alone in that creek. They pulled out of the area and frantically started trying to assess the situation. They were trying to think rationally, but they couldn't help but believe it was something way out of the ordinary. They came back to the creek and started hearing more noises. They were much the same, and at uh, this point, they really weren't panicking that much. When one of them looked straight ahead, he would have sworn he saw a dark figure standing on its hind legs walking past the tree line about five meters ahead of them. The witness almost hyperventilated, and they started sprinting back to a, to a nearby gazebo. They discussed whether they should go back to one of the men's homes, about 300 meters from the park, and <clears throat> facing it as well, or if they should run back to the creek and investigate these noises once more. They went back to the creek and immediately started seeing more shadows and hearing more unnatural, unsuburban noises. At this point, it started raining heavily, and they saw a gargantuan storm cloud approaching. They decided to bolt back to the man's place, They started running in the opposite direction of the creek. One of the men turned his head for a split second, and he saw what he described as a green man, quote-unquote. He looked to be wearing something green, covered covered in hair, and it almost looked like it, it was attached to his skull. He did not have a shirt on and had dark green skin. The darker texture than whatever than whatever was on his head. Uh, he looked like he had some sort of dread, dead, I should say, furred animal over his shoulders, and in the opposite hand he was carrying what looked like a sort of long melee weapon, possibly a staff or stick. He was looking out from under the creek, therefore the witness did not see his lower half. 
He had a big bulgy black eyes, literally protruded out of his head almost like a grasshopper. He had a mouth where his th- his lips were, where his um, this part of this is cut off here, and he had a normal looking nose, although the witnesses did not see any nostrils. But that's more likely due to the fact that he was at a distance. He then raised what must have been his eyebrows and gave the witnesses a sort of "What are you looking at?" look. He then appeared to have shrugged, then walked and uh, walked away. He did not have any visible ears. Where his ears were supposed to be, it was just blank. The witness stood there in shock, hyperventilating, and lost all bodily functions for about half a minute while his friend yelled for him to come, finally able to run back uh, away from the area. Well, there we are. I read that because it reminded me of an experience I had in England where I saw the top half of an apparition in uh, a very mysterious woodland in the uh, province of in the uh, county of Devon. Anyway, we'll talk about that some other time. So anyway, many thanks to our producer, Craig Pelletier, who will not be with us for a while after this week. At least uh, uh, we hope he'll be back soon. Uh, he has become a good friend. We wish him all good things until we meet him again. But Ben and I will still be here, and we'll see you next Monday, March 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WOON, 1240 a.m. and com. Ben and I will be talking with New England author Christopher Balzano about the ultra-weird Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. Okay, in the meantime, tune into our Sunday evening CBS radio edition in Boston, Detroit, Seattle, and Pittsburgh. So on And online at www.newskyradio.com. On March 6th, we'll be talking with one of our most popular guests, Murray Silver, about, and our subject will be Paranormal in Politics. Remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. In the meantime, we leave you with one of my favorite quotes from the great Winston Churchill, who many people don't realize was American on his mother's side. Quote, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the ordeal of meeting me is another matter. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.